this idea of water being healthy. It's kind of an interesting one because I had a healing experience where prior to the experience, what if water is sharing its consciousness through us and every living thing to observe itself from every perspective? And whether water is conscious, I don't know, but I know that water and consciousness are so intimately intertwined that they almost behave as one. Veda, you're here. Wake the fake up. Hallelujah. It's so good to see your face. It's so good to be in your presence. It just feels like yesterday every time I see you. And um, you just came in from New Zealand. I did, yep. And um, let's get into water. Okay. (laughs) What you just said right now is very, um, in my opinion, critical for us to distinguish. Yeah. We're always like, what's in the water? what materials in the water, what bicarbonates, total dissolved solids, all the other accumulation, all that stuff. But before that, what is water? Mm-hmm. I have my postulation. I'd love to hear yours. It's a very deep question to dive into. But you're right. When you're just looking at water as an analysis, you're looking at what it holds. But you're actually not knowing anything about what is water. And I think one of the things that have been extremely important in my understanding of that question comes to a Maori word. So my dad is native New Zealand Maori, and there is a word for spirit, which is called wairua. Wai means water, rua means two, means two waters, the physical and spiritual waters. And I have a crystallographic freezing technique, and it's interesting because there are two waters two stages of water within the freezing technique. It takes about five minutes. There's liquid on top and ice underneath, so it's liquid and ice. I tip the liquid away, and there is this crystallographic, beautiful ice in picture form that's relative to an influence or an inspiration, I prefer to call it. But what does that tell me? When I'm using tap water, and tap water gets the worst rap because people always go on about what's in tap water, We have to define tap water, though. Tap water in New Zealand might be a little bit different than (laughs) tap water in Los Angeles, for example. But keep going. Yeah. Well, there's. I'm I'm definitely talking about the municipal tap water that tends to have very disordered patterns when you look at it in a crystallographic medium. Sure. And so, each different type of water has a signature pattern. So, tap water has a very disordered pattern. But what's amazing is that when I freeze that, take the photo and then let it melt and then hold it to my heart in an intentional loving way and refreeze the exact same water, you start to see ferns and hexagons appear in the crystallography. So it's changing structurally, but it's not changing chemically. So what are we seeing? The point of that is that we're seeing something more akin to an emotion. It's a memory. It's like, it's not just like a memory, it's like an emotional response. To? To the intention and love. To the observer? It's interesting because I think actually of water in its most spiritual aspect as the observer. So the water is observing what it's surrounding in time and space? It definitely in time and space, but there's, it's interesting because you can dive deeper and actually water is, appears to be able to understand future and past. So I've done studies where I've taken water from a spring and where there's been a lot of Maori settlement and it designed this image that looks like a pātaka, which is an old Maori food storage hut that were built on stilts and they used to store water and gourds in there. And... It's so, it was so clear that I went through historical records from the area where I got the water from, and there were these historical sketches of these partakas that were there in the area, and it looked just like it. Interesting. But then I've had things where I often just invite water to share whatever it wants, which right. I think is interesting. We can learn from water. And it will design, it designed this um, obelisk shape. And I was looking around, and I can't see any obelisks anywhere. And then this friend came over about four hours later, and she'd gone to the crystal shop. And she showed me this crystal, and it was an obelisk 
shape. And she said, have you ever seen anything quite like it? And I showed her the picture in the ice and she was like, oh my God. I put my thumb into a Petri dish of water, removed it, froze it, and this thumb appeared with the thumbnail, but there was a chip in the thumbnail in the ice imagery. And a few hours later, I chipped my nail in exactly the same place. So when you're thinking about this idea of time and space, it's interesting because water doesn't appear to actually be in one space. It's in all spaces at all time. It's all connected. Yes. It's always remembering. So it's basically, it's an abyss of everything. And um, that's interesting because if someone's listening to this and they are linear in their way of thinking, mechanistic, materialistic, modern day science, they couldn't comprehend even where to go next in thought because they're probably receiving this like, what are you talking about? How is water being able to capture this? How is water being able to hold this level of information? And the more that we start understanding how springs work and the hydrological cycle and what this earth realm is, we start to uncover the mysteries of water. And that took me into a whole, I would say, journey on water that started for me about 15 years ago from my cousin Avocado, who is an avid spring water hunter. And he introduced me to Victor Schauberger. And then from there, I went into researching all the things. And um, I don't know if I told you this, but we spent a lot, we spent some time over in Havasupai Falls, which is a just an enormous amount of beauty and and water majesty in Arizona. Spring water shooting out of red rock, creating cascading waterfalls and energy vortexes and all these things. And one day we were standing under this massive waterfall. And uh, he, you know, David nudges me and he goes, you know, that's implosionary energy. And I said, please explain more. He said, well, right where that water breaks onto that other piece of water, nature's reacting to that force. And that's how things in nature tap into other forms of energy. That's how frequencies work. That's how fish shoot up waterfalls. They're tapping into that implosionary energy. That's how water... Um, holds and harnesses all that energy. And right then in that moment, my entire perspective of water changed. And all the other subtleties in my life began to unfold. Would you say that your journey in this quest or this spiritual journey or even this scientific journey has evolved you into your ancient primordial self and allowed you to be in a position in your life where you can now take on the consciousness of water and behave like water and all relationships, all connections, and all decision-making? I don't think I can't. It's, it's, the interesting thing is that by our eye lens is 99% water. We literally see everything through the lens of water. You don't have a choice. That's what no, you're saying. It's literally right. what we do. Yeah. But on an emotional level... And certainly through my work, I've been able to see that everything is fluid. And when it's stagnant, it's not in flow. And so water is always trying to get back into flow. So we're always, it's, it's natural for us to want to be moving. Right. And we are by molecular count, not by volume, 99% water. Mm-hmm. And there's more water molecules in our bodies than stars in the Milky Way. So this idea of being without water or not being in flow seems rather sort of obscure, actually, because we don't think of ourselves as bodies of water. But I would teach in schools a mix of science and art, and I would say to the children, if your skin was invisible and your organs were see-through, what would you look like? Hmm. And one child said he'd look like a brain-shaped cloud with electrical rain shining down through his body in the shape of a person. Hmm. And I'd also ask the question, how would you recognize your parents? And one little girl, she said, I would always recognize my mummy because of the way she feels. Mm. So that brings it through to this kind of fluidity and this understanding of the way in which we feel energy. And there's water in the air. And we often forget about that aspect. There's so many stages of water. But the water in the air is very attracted to electrical charge. Mm. 
and we all have electrical charge that heart math can read. Right. Obviously, it's not so woo-woo. No. And the water in the air is attracted to it. Therefore, we have like it's this. It's a conductor of it. Yes. Right. It gives us this liquid antenna, like a web, where we can both feel energy and also give energy. Right. But I, I think what's very interesting is that concept of the eyes. And I talk a lot about eyes because um, because of my work whereby there's this concept that light shines through the eyes and that we're not just receiving it, but we're giving it out. Mm. And there's a, a scientist by the name of Gennady Krokolev. He's from Russia. He was also a psychiatrist. And I'm always looking for references that have some kind of thing close to my work. Yeah. And not a lot of people have heard of his work. So he was working with psychiatric patients that were having hallucinations. And he wanted to see if these hallucinations were somehow able to be captured on film. So he made these kind of goggles with no lens and he used this old black and white Zenith camera that had this box thing that came out and he attached the box to the goggles. And he was talking to his patients and asking them what they were seeing and they were telling him and he was writing it down and then they were taking photos as they were having the vision. And this was when they used old-fashioned, the old-fashioned way of like developing films in water. Right. And so they had already heard what the picture was of. And so when they developed it, they found, oh, here is this image that's relative to what they were saying. They were getting images of these person, people's visions. Mm. And that was on camera. That was really interesting. And he had this hypothesis that perhaps there's some kind of secondary layer of consciousness, another realm that they're picking up on, or perhaps, and maybe the more popular one, is that the brain sends information to the retina of the eye, which is mostly water as well, a huge percent of water, that then translates that into an image and sends out a kind of hologram. Mm. And that's what can be picked up on the camera, just like orbs and things can. But this study was repeated by more Russian scientists in the last 15 years. And rather than using a psychiatric patients, they used someone who could remote view. And the science, they set this whole camera, same setup, except they used a scuba diving mask instead of like the goggle thing that Genity used. Yeah. And they stood behind a wall, held up numbers and shapes. And as the remote viewer tuned into them, um, they took the photos and they were able to prove that this is indeed a viable science. And they made a documentary called something like um, um, uh, something like memory is well, thought is material. That's what thought it was is called. material. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. So this is. The, the energy of what compositionally is being attuned to is actually could be ca captured within the frame of the water plasma. Yeah. Right? And that's what it is. And you're talking about this idea of plasma too, because mm -hmm. I think that's a really important piece. Sure. Because the stage of freezing that I found yeah. developed out of curiosity, because I used to freeze water solid, yeah. you know, um, a long, long time ago before I didn't really know any better. But the stages in between are where the subtleties are. And I always say the secrets are in the subtleties of life. And so the stage between liquid and ice is where that fourth phase water is. And that is, I mean, I'm sure you know, but there's a liquid solid gas and yeah. then a type of gel or plasma. Right. That's that fourth phase water. Right. But Let's talk about fourth phase water. Okay. Yeah. Because I think that's something that hasn't been spoken about a lot. And there is major understandings that can help evolve somebody's health, Yeah. right? Yeah. And I think a lot of people that are listening to this, they might not be water alchemists or water savants, but hopefully they're getting tuned in that water is just compositionally not H2O, but it's so much more. Yeah. And the fourth phase, the first time I heard about fourth phase, I think it was, again, I think it was through David through Jared, Gerald Pollack's work. Mm -hmm. And I know that you've worked with um, Mr. Pollock many times. I think you actually introduced me to him via email once. I had a question about a certain project. And um, the, 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 the final surmise of it is that the fourth phase is found within our body interstitially. Mm -hmm. And it's through that interstitial fourth phase that 
connection points can be made, thoughts can be moved around, and energy could be received and given out. Am I right? Is that something mm-hmm. that makes sense? And the structure of it is so unique that thoughts and emotions and magnetism and electromagnetism flows through it like a perfect current. Yeah. And if we're not properly hydrated and we don't have the proper minerals in our body and, and thoughts and all the things, that that fourth phase dries up or it becomes something else and it, and it never produces the proper voltage in the body. And it's interesting because... My background is longevity and anti-aging and health and all these things, but I'm bridging spirit and science in my entire perspective. And for me, understanding that we are electrical before we are chemical and understanding what true currency is in the body is the foundation of health. And I've reviewed so many cases and analyzed so many pathologies. Ultimately, most, most of those pathological diseases is comes down to the browning effect of the body where the body's voltage starts to diminish. Mitochondria diminishes, fourth phase water diminishes, and the body just loses its vital force. Can you speak on that a little bit? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that that even comes down to clothing. Like there's a hertz frequency of different types of clothing. And it's interesting when you're looking at, you're kind of talking also not only fourth phase water, but negative charge. I think that's one of its attributes. And Jerry talks about, Jared Pollock, he talks about this idea of negative charge being so important. But I've been fortunate enough to go and look and see how they test for fourth phase water, and it's really interesting. What is the test? So they get um, some water, they put something called microspheres in it that allow you to see movement, then they put something called a nephion tube, which is like a little see-through tube, and it's um, hydrophilic, so they put that in there, and then you look through a microscope. If the water is moving through the tube, round and round, self-propelling, then it's fourth phase water. Essentially what it does is create a negative and a positive charge. It pushes out the solates, and so you have like a very pure layer of water and then you have the kind of other area of water and when you have a negative and a positive, you have a battery. Yeah. And that's what's happening inside of our cells and it expands with infrared light. So that's a really interesting part where, you know, when you're walking barefoot on the ground, you're bringing the negative charge of the earth. You know, you have kind of um, infrared saunas. You're even just sitting by fire yeah. can absorb that. And so... Um, this idea of water being healthy, it's kind of an interesting one because I had a healing experience where prior to the experience, I probably didn't realize that that water could be healthy, a healthy type of water, mm. because we have this idea that all water is the same. Right. Maybe not for your guy, people, and no, we course. understand, but yeah. there's so many different types of water. Yeah. But I don't know if you want me to share a little about what happened to me. I, I would love to get into that. I think that that's a poignant part of the story. You know, that's the pain, the purpose, and then the like the aha moment of realizing that this is part of my salvation and part of my story. So I, I heard this story when we first met. I remember you wrote it to me. Um, that was in Christ, which I still have. Yeah. And um, share exactly what happened. Yeah. Well, this is my journey that got me into water. And I was in a horrendous car accident over 24 years or so ago. Um, We went under a seven-ton truck, rolled twice. The driver was decapitated. It was one of the worst accidents in New Zealand where someone survived. If you see the car crash, it's pretty much impossible to think anyone could have survived. Um, I had eight surgeries over the course of 20 or so years. On my last surgery, they found that I had, um, I went in for bowel surgery because what happened was that the CPAP crushed all my internal organs. And actually three doctors told me I'd never be able to have children. So I had a child for every doctor that told me I couldn't. I love that. Because <laughs> I hate being told what I can't do. Um, but uh, so on my last surgery, I went in for bowel surgery, as I said, and then I was surrounded by doctors telling me that, I didn't recover well and I had showers of blood clots in my lungs, wow. which was shocking because I've always looked after my health and I, I thought, why, what's, what happened? Sure. So they told me you need to be on warfarin, which is blood thinner, and uh, they said you might have to be on it the rest of your life. And I really, really didn't want to do that. Of course. 
and it, every, it's always a choice, you know. So I, I did for a few months and then I had a clear chest x-ray and then he was like, well, maybe you need to keep on doing this. And I said, I think maybe not. And that was my choice, of course. And I ended up deciding that I was going to be well. And just as the doctors had said I wouldn't be able to have children, I kind of put that on the shelf as, well, that's what they said, but who knows? Sure. And so in this particular instance, I thought, I know my body can heal, and uh, I'm going to find the best way to keep it well. So I ended up talking to a bunch of people. I ended up speaking to a doctor friend of mine, medical doctor, also practiced Ayurvedic medicine, and he said, if you can find a natural emphasis on natural source of high alkaline water, it might help to stabilize your body. Natural emphasis. Yeah. Not electrolyzed. Natural. That's what he... Highly alkaline from the earth, <laughs> yeah. from its purpose, from aquifer to oxygen. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going. Absolutely. And I thought, well, just drinking water, that seems like an easy thing to do. Right. So I, I actually took it really seriously, and I did two-week trials on different natural alkaline waters from New Zealand. And so other than feeling hydrated and feeling more energized, I didn't notice anything specific to talk about, uh, until one day, and I had a wellness center also back then, and this lady said, I know this old guy, he's got his own private source of water, he's only giving it to cancer patients, maybe you want to try. And so he, um, I went and saw him, he gave me a month's worth, and after three days I noticed a change in a topic so many people don't want to talk about, but that is such an indicator of our internal health, which is bowel motion, motions, mm -hmm. and after so much surgery, you know, that was really a, a noticeable improvement. Sure. And then um, about, I think it was day 10, I started noticing all these bumps coming up on my arm and jaw that was super painful. And I knew my body was purging, but I didn't really know what was coming out. And so I ended up, as gross as it sounds, getting some tweezers and like pulling out something it's in glass, my arm. Glass, right? And it was, yeah, it was a shard of green glass. But between day 10 and 12, I pulled out 27 pieces of green glass from my body that had wow. been in my body for 20 years. Wow. And why it was green was that the man who died had a nightclub and in the back of his car were these crates of Steinlager beer, which had green bottles. And when the car... Um, rolled, this side of my body got that glass and the other side got more of the windscreen. And so how is it that water could purge me like that, especially glass that had been embedded for so long? Yeah. And so then- Embedded in your fascia, yeah. I'm assuming, right? Yeah. Okay. And so for it to be able to be pushed out, you know, that's what got me questioning, like, well, how can this water be so different than the other types of water? You're probably at that point, you're having a nirvana experience, out-of-body out of experience. And for all you know, this you've just touched upon the elixir of life, right? Something that is beyond magic. It's magic at that point, right? In your perspective? It certainly felt like that to right. me. Okay. But it was also my curiosity was like invoked because... On a, I, I enjoy science, yeah. and I love spirituality, and I love art. So for me, I'm like, hmm, well, what is happening here? Like, how is this possible? And I had this wellness center, so I started trialing people on this water to see, well, is it only me? And everybody had an improvement of energy. Everybody's eyesight improved, wow. which is interesting. Yeah. Um, Deuterium depleted? What? 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 No, it, it's interesting because it, it didn't. It didn't have a high deuterium, but it wasn't low either. It was somewhere like in one thirty. And yeah, it was around about that. Okay. Um, I wouldn't say it was deuterium depleted, but and it and it wasn't like it had about two hundred and twenty um, TDS. Okay. Um, and it had not a high. Low. No, not low. Not yeah. super high either. Yeah. Its alkalinity came from the bicarb. Yep. And so I was like looking at all of this, going, "Wow, well, what, what is it? Is it the high alkalinity? Is it the alkalinity? Is it this? Is it, is it that the structure?" Well, you see, that's what started getting me into the idea of, I didn't know about structure until I started inquiring and looking into it. Yeah. And when everybody started improving, and like one guy, for example, he had stage four cancer. 
And he wanted, before going on a trial of doing the whole chemo thing, he wanted to see if he could heal his body first whilst he still had the energy. And so he was doing the internal work, but he did a 27-day water fast using this water. And halfway through the fast, they were able to say his tumor had reduced by half, but they were like, no, 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 we're worried about this fast. You know, we're still worried you're, you're not eating anything. He said, but my tumor's reduced, yeah. you know, but the doctors were just uh, worried. But three weeks after he finished the fast, they couldn't find any trace of the cancer. And so I'm not saying that the water did that, but I think the combination of the inner work as well as the water yeah. really made a difference in allowing the body to really heal itself and stop digesting food for a while. Right. Um, but also just that incremental little bit of energy for the top athletes. I had one guy who just it just made all of the difference. Fertility. You know, there was a woman who'd done two rounds of IVF, managed to get pregnant within eight weeks of drinking that. So my dad, my dad's a famous Maori fisherman in New Zealand called Bill Hohepa, very well known for his ginormous eyebrows and massive moustache. <laughs> and, and he um, started drinking the water. And he had this fish fin that had been stuck between his knuckles for years, and he thought he'd got it all out. But when he started drinking it, this bit of fin started making its way out between his knuckles like a fossilized bit of grossness, and he was pulling that out. So I'm like, gosh, what is going on? Wow. So that's where I started asking the question, what is water? Because the answer wasn't just coming from the analysis. And then I started to be inspired by three people. Emoto was, of course, well known. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the scientific world, world, community couldn't embrace him. No, they um, attacked him They hard. absolutely did. They attacked me and Novak uh -huh. for that water conversation. Yeah. That was used against him, and they brought me into that Yeah, just by saying water has a memory. Yeah, yeah. it's an interesting one because we're bodies of water with memory. Yeah. And so... And we're but, incubated in yeah, water. Everything is conceived through fluids and liquid. That's right. So, but, but again, you know, science world likes to see repeatabilities. That's why they actually like the third part of my work. So the first part is signature patterns. So each type of water has its own signature pattern, and all of these patterns stem from the hexagon. Mm -hmm. The second part of my work is the art. The third part of my work is called hydroglyphs. Mm -hmm. So to say I have one hydroglyph, I need to have seen the same symbol in ice appear using the same word influence, which we'll talk about in a second, at least 50 times. So it's been repeated at least it's 50 good. times. Yeah. Um, so water doesn't read words, but it does absorb the energy of words and crystallize into form. And I, I got to know about that because of music. Based on the vernacular of the word or the definition of the word? Well, that, words are really an interesting thing to define. Did you get what I said? Yes. Okay. I think so. Well, you, uh, why don't you just well, is ask it the, me Is again? it the vernacular, like the, the, the enunciation of what humans perceive a word to be, or is it the definition we give it? I think that each letter holds a, a kind of resonance, mm -hmm. even, even in the way that we the write. toning of it. Yes. So is it the writing? Or the, yes. Or the, it's the, the sound cymatic, of your speaking, the, cymatic. the cymatics of your speaking, which is interesting. Yep. But also the writing, the word. It's 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 a lot of ancient cultures really believed that just through speaking they could create worlds, they could create life. Word you know, magic. Yeah, even it's in real. Genesis, yeah. first the word like there was the word, right? The logos. It's, it's so yeah. such a big part. Mm -hmm. But water takes a word, takes that information. So energy is information. So even words, even written words have an energy that have information. So water takes information, translates that information into a like pictograph. Yeah. And that's really interesting because symbology is extremely powerful. And I think that when you look back at ancient times where people would not write something, they would draw a picture to share a concept. So if I said to you, here is my glass of water, 
you know, it's like, oh, that's nice. But I say this is the energy of my water. Mm. We then have to go, oh, well, what is the energy of my water? What does that mean to me? What is that energy giving off? Mm. What is that relevance to me does it have? So that's the invitation in the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the fact that it repeats and designs suggests there's this almost uh, fluid language and we, I'm working with people that understands ancient languages and there's an interesting overlay with hieroglyphs and hydroglyphs in the sense that hieroglyphs were designed to be seen and felt. It's a, like a concept that's revealed and shared. And same thing with this work. When you see the repeatability of these glyphs, you see when you, the seeing and the feeling kind of makes you feel something and understand it, you uh, become able to absorb the information of the picture. Right. So it's an interesting kind of change from from the the, the very linear word yeah. shifting over to an actual picture that invites you to feel something. So it's hard for the water science community be- because, like Emoto's work, you know, was show- very much in contrast. But the reason that I got into the idea of this hydroglyphs was just purely organically, because my son saw Emoto's work showing um, classical music versus heavy metal. And he came to me, little guy, well, maybe 12, and he said, I think water hates me. I'm like, my child thinks water hates him? What do you mean? And he said, well, I don't really want to listen to classical music, and I don't really like heavy metal. And children will often lean towards the thing. If they can't find something they relate to, they'll lean into the worst outcome. Mm-hmm. And so he was just assuming the worst. Mm. And he said, I like Tupac, and Tupac swears, therefore I don't think water likes me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, see, that's the problem when you see things too much in contrast. Mm. That's one of the problems because life is so much of a myriad of things in between. Yeah. So I'm like, well, firstly, I don't think that the person that, that did the test for heavy metal, probably they didn't like heavy metal. So that was coming across. Yeah. But Water, I don't believe, certainly not in a spiritual sense, is in judgment. We mentioned it before. I think water is the observer. I think that the physical water moves through us and hydrates us and has function and purpose. But we we also have the power to observe ourselves. So I started doing uh, exposing water to lots of different genres of music. Mm-hmm. And what I observed is that water seems to like to pick up on words. And so when I, for example, played the song Stairway to Heaven and I, and I played it multiple times and repeated the study, I always saw the stairway image in the ice. And then I began to wonder, I wonder if that actually means stairway. So I wrote the word stairway, put my Petri dish of water on top of it for 30 seconds, removed, put into the freezer, froze my using my short-term method and photographed. And I saw there's this stairway image. So the word has received the energy of it because we've all put that information into that word. Yes. Okay. So it's but, like a radionics. Yes. It, it is a lot like that. Yeah. Um, but that is relative to different languages too. So people always ask me, right. oh, you know, but what about, does it only understand English? Well, that's, the, uh, that's my language. Interesting. But we've used it with different languages and different written languages like um, the word for love in Hindi is pya, yeah. and so I wrote that in Hindi, and it showed the heart image, and then I wrote it in English, and there's the heart image. And so, and so okay, forth. so let's just say that this is all accurate. Yeah. That would mean something very big. Yeah. That would mean that there is a universal energy here existing within us, around us, that is connecting everything towards a, a one source light yeah and and that within that light is a language is an observ- observer it's omnipresent it's omnificent all of it all in one and water could be the conductive force which all that travels through if we're in some kind of whatever this is this realm is this material world yeah so so someone's listening to this what do they do with this is because the first thing I think of, this is a spiritual evolution. This is getting out of the left brain 
dogmatic way of thinking, the mechanistic way of thinking. This is allowing you to actually breathe that, you know, there is magic in this world yeah. that is provable. And we've really lost our way in this 21st century world. Uh, Rudolf Steiner said that today's date, actually, we are going to be in the the heightened impulse of Araman. Araman is the demon of materialism, government, science, education, structure, no connection to the etheric world. We're just simply bone and matter, and there's no quantum energy. There's no perspective of that. And we have 20 years from this point on to figure that out. If we don't, we go into a dystopic world and, and all things become mechanistic and machine-like. And you can see that now with artificial intelligence and the technocratic world and global computer systems and all these things. Um, we're really forgetting, forgotten what we've forgotten. We're, we're losing our connection to um, the real world. Mm -hmm. And so that being said, receiving this message is for me, it's reminding me of something that I already know exists in my heart. It's almost like I need it in repetition. I need to be able to wake up every day. And, and that's what rituals are for, yeah. right? And that's what practice is for. What, what, do you, what do you take from this for yourself? And what is it that you're trying to bring to the world through this passion of love and connection to probably the, the main conductor of our world? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the practical things that has been so interesting is uh, something my children taught me. My daughter, when I was young, when she was young, younger, um, she actually would, she, they grew up watching me do this, right? So I would hold the crystallography up, I'd take a photo, and one day she said, oh, can I have that, mum? And so I gave her the dish of crystallography, and I thought she was just going to look at it, but she started to eat the ice, and I said, what are you doing? And she said, it's good for me, mummy. And I said, really? And then about 10 days later, her brother asked me to do the same thing. He said, can I have the dish? And I saw him starting to eat the ice. And I said, did your sister tell you about that? And he looked at me blankly. I'm like, well, what do these children know that I don't? So I stored it away. And then as I started working with people um, who are parents, also teaching them how to do my work, they um, started to say, you know, my, our children, they're eating the crystallography. And I'm like, really? <laughs> and so what was wonderful was that my husband, he started doing a study um, using my technique on different plant medicines and using words. And it was quite interesting. His, his work was phenomenal. He found that water was sharing actual sequences of symbols, but that's a whole other story. But on one week, he was focused on the word ayahuasca. So he wrote the word, used the technique, and then took the photos, and then he would eat the ice. For a whole work, he, a week, he was like eating ayahuasca ice. And then he came to me and he said, you know, maybe I need to take this a little more seriously because he started to have a mild experience of what it might be to have a bit of a journey. Mm. And I took that really seriously and I started to share it with people that I was teaching my technique to because I have thousands of people that do this now. So that's what I mean. It's, it's not just me and my special relationship with water. Sure. Water will relate to all people. Um, but people started to write the word rest, um, who are having insomnia and having an improvement. Um, people have had all kinds of small improvements. And it's quite interesting because this is very, very new, a very very new, this one lady, Rachel, she had a vaccine injury and um, she was, she couldn't even walk at one stage. I didn't realize how bad it was till I did a live with her the other day. And she found me quite early on and she was also doing movement therapy and a few other things, but she started doing this, eating the ice as a ritual. And she would write words. The first word I think she used for a month was connection. And whatever the crystallography, however it formed, she would eat it. And for nine months, she's been doing this daily. She has a wad of different, like, uh, words that she's used. She's kept them all because now she's completely well and healed. And so 
This is something the children are teaching us. This is why I think we should listen. Because even if you look and understand the stage of water that this is freezing at, water freezes in three stages. This kind of liquid crystal stage where there is, it's the purest state where it's pushed all the solates out. This is the crystallography where I actually take the photos. We know we've overfrozen if there are kind of like two layers of ice with liquid in between because a second layer will form. And then as it's completely forming into a complete solid, the liquid in the middle will then freeze and that actually clouds everything over because that third freeze holds the most of the total dissolved solids. So we're, they're eating the ice in this very pure place. And I think of it like spirit, blood, and body. And so this is something extremely helpful that I think I would never have known about if my children hadn't just organically told me mm. and shown me. But it's, it's you know, there's been no clinical trials. This oh, is extremely yeah. new, but or, so or, simple. Well, I think the future is old. Yeah. It's, it's ancient, you the know. The future is ancient, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So I also think that, you know, there's all of this, the, the pictures speak a thousand words. Yeah. You know, and so what has found this way to communicate an intelligence that we probably never ever knew was even there, certainly not in the last hundred years, perhaps, except for people that study water for long times. You know, you talked about Victor Schauberger. One little known thing about him was that he would sit by a stream and he talked about this very beautifully and he said he'd watch the stream and he, then he fell unconscious and he said when he awoke, he said that the water had taken what he called his free consciousness away and had brought it back to him full of information about what the water liked. Yeah. And he would say that in every drop of water is the Godhead. Mm -hmm. And then you look both religiously and culturally and in ancient wisdoms and you see where water and spirit have been considered together. Yeah. And even in our language, in ancient language, um, we called water the waters because it was considered a big body of water, of living water, this idea of living water. And then, then it kind of when plumbing came into being with the Romans and people started to see their waste being taken away by water, the word the waters became water. Yeah. And now we're reducing it to H2O. But the word waters is still here kind of around when someone says her waters broke. Yeah. So that's the sacred area of water. It's still kept pure. Yeah. So we've kind of gone from this idea of, of, of water as a living body. Like in New Zealand, we were the first country in the world to give the rights of personhood to a river. Mm. The Whanganui River was that the tribe felt so connected to that river and they consider it to also hold their ancestors. So water is not just a resource, you know, it's a relative. Right. And so they went to the crown and they pushed and pushed to get um, it to be given this personhood so they could take care of it because what they saw was this gravel being taken away from its belly. Yeah. They saw effluence going in through the mouth and they saw an aquatic decapitation where the headwaters were diverted. I love that. I, I love turning it into um, what we can relate to in terms of stewardship yeah. and love and not looking at it as some fringe economy or some bullshit like that. That's... That's powerful right there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's true riparian rights. That's like that's like bringing it into your living room and saying that this is your loved one. Yeah. Well, Sacred. you know, it, the, is. it is. Well, the water in our glass yeah. has been through the trees. It's been through the clouds. It's been through the animals. It's been through the earth. Yeah. It's been through our ancestors. Right. I've done a study um, using various different fluids. One of them is saliva. So when you speak, water, the, the saliva holds the last word or sentence you spoke as a resonance. So when you we look at saliva, frozen saliva, um, what I see is an image relative to 
to the last words you spoke. For example, I was talking about the number eight. I literally spat into a dish. The bubbles will form, these silvery bubbles, and there was this eight just stamped in there. And that everybody try this at home. (laughs) Exactly. But what that means is that say say my name and then spit. (laughs) Would be interesting to (laughs) because obviously the power of words and names would be interesting to see. Yeah. Um, But that brings into this idea of being grateful before you eat or drink, saying a prayer, Mm -hmm. saying a blessing. And it's it's incredibly real. Absolutely. So when you're kind of looking at all of these things and you kind of put it all together, then what we're really seeing is something far greater than we've ever imagined. Yeah. You know, um, and it's simple. It's so simple. Yeah, that's the key here. It's not some convoluted long division. Yeah. It's actually very simple when you get down to the roots of it. It all starts to make sense. It all leads you back to the, to the root of this inner knowing yeah. that everything is just connected. Well, someone once said, what if water is sharing its consciousness through us and every living thing to observe itself from every perspective? And whether water is conscious, I don't know, but I know that water and consciousness are so intimately intertwined that they almost behave as one. My friend Moses Hackman, um, he said that water is the glove on the hand of consciousness. And I think that that's really interesting. And I think that water can be the connector to all realms. And one of the reasons I say that is that um, my mum passed away in 1999 and I, she was a walking angel and I miss her a lot. And so I simply asked the water, because I'm not paid to do any of this, I can play in whatever field I want. So I, I said, can you connect to my mum? And so when um, and then I froze the water and I had no idea what would be revealed but to put some context into this before I share what I saw I used to live in Japan and mum and I would write letters to each other because this was before cell phones and and computers and stuff I sound like ancient but um, we would actually write letters to each other and at the end of every letter my mum would make some attempt at drawing a circle and put a little heart in the middle mum's circles were always really bad And in the ice was a misshapen circle with a heart in the middle. And before my mum died, she said, you know, I'm always going to be with you, always, Mm. even when I'm not in this physical body anymore. And so for me to see that, it was so powerful. And then, you know, and then a, a, a lovely part to the story about the car accident was that I was sharing that story um with a friend when I lived in Christchurch. It was the day before the second big Christchurch earthquake. Mm. And my son Rama was nearly three, and he was, as little children do, spying on me and, like, listing in. And I'd never told him the story about my accident before. And so he heard it all. And when I finished, and Rama, he jumped up onto my lap, put his arms around me, and he said, I remember that, mummy. I remember the window wipers and the tires. And he said, I came down out of the clouds and I went like this and I saved you. And when I knew you were okay, I climbed back up the ladder into the clouds. And I'm like, oh, my baby. Wow. No, it's like there's so much we don't know. And at the same time, there's so much we do know if we just look within ourselves. And I think what my work has shown me is that that water really is the life force energy of life. We talk about, you know, there's water is life, but we never talk about it. Maybe it's a life force. Maybe it's alive. And because we have this perception that things that are alive at very least have to be within a body. Right. But this idea of spirit in the observer What I think about water is that I think that because you talked about electrical charge and that's very interesting to me because I talk about the water and the air being attracted to electrical charge, but how can we observe ourselves? That's an interesting idea Mm. because I've interviewed a number of people that have had near-death experiences. They have this sense of rising, which is what a gas does, another aspect of water, and then they immediately looked upon their bodies being resuscitated. And one one man said to me, he said, oh, you know, he said, I thought, 
I hope that person's going to be okay. There was like absolutely no attachment whatsoever to the physical body anymore. Mm. He had become the observer. And the other three people that I can think of right now, they observed themselves. So this idea of being the observer immediately about the release of the, of the physical. And so how did they come back? How can they go away, have an experience, and then come back into the body? What is the tether, the silver thread? And I think that is electrical charge. And it's, it's interesting because Jerry Pollock was on one of my masterclasses, and he shared something I hadn't heard about. Mm. Um, and his, one of his students did um, a study on eggs, on, on the development of, of chickens. And they were able to – so – this was in the development stage. It hadn't, doesn't even look like a chicken at this stage. It's still in an egg. Yeah. And they, you can crack it without the shell and observe what's going on and see it grow. At four days, they stopped the heartbeat. They wanted to know whether the exclusion zone or fourth phase water would drop upon death and with all of other vital signs. So there was a drop, but it didn't drop all the way to the bottom. And then he said when they put infrared light near it, that water that in, within the blood went all the way back up and took an hour to go back down. And he actually said we may need to rethink when someone is actually dead because where there's any movement, there is some form of, because I'm going to say this, because we are a salt water, there is some form of piezoelectricity. Mm -hmm. And so any charge is going to enable. charge yeah. is still present. Yeah. yeah, will enable what we might term as spirit to come back through into the body. Mm. So that's kind of an interesting one because we observe ourselves when we dream and we also observe ourselves when people, some people have psychedelic experiences or, and they can see themselves. My son broke his arm not long ago um, and they gave him ketamine in the hospital and the doctor said, he's gonna be here, but he's not gonna be here. Yeah. And I watched him and, was quite remarkable, really. Within four seconds, he said, what the f... And then he stopped and his was just, like, looking everywhere whilst they were readjusting his arm. And I asked him afterwards, and he said that he watched himself being, um, you know, while the nurses were working on him. Yeah. So this idea, we can observe ourselves while still being alive. So how is that working? How is the idea of the conscious observer this idea is separate. Yeah. So there's this connection though. And so the areas where there's some explanation of that come into the realms of water. Mm. So the different stages of water. And again, given how much water we are, and then if we boil it down, we're water, salt, minerals, and consciousness. Salts are really interesting. They're a type of crystal. We have crystals in all our technology. They store vast amounts of information. So we have cellular memory based on our the, the, the salt and minerals within us. Even when someone is cremated, the ashes are salts. Yeah. So we are made of all these immortal things. Even, you know, it's like water doesn't die. People love to label things and they label that's dead water because it's not structured or that's dead water because it's polluted. But it's not a truth. In fact, water will evaporate yeah. and it will keep reincarnating. It can always reincarnate. Yeah, that's what I always say. Yeah, Water can always reincarnate. It's interesting you said that. Well, yeah. it's it's a truth, and there is a hydroglyph for living, for the word living. But interestingly, once I'd identified that, a man reached out and he said he'd only been given three months to live, and could I please ask Water what death looked like? So I wrote the word death, but I kept seeing the living glyph mm. again and again and again and again. I did it 64 times. And then I realized, of course, Water doesn't die. To the word living to water. And that's an interesting thing. Imagine if water has its own perspective, yeah. a different, more spiritual perspective than one we know. And it, it understood that, of course, death is another word for life. Right. It's a transition. Transition, yeah. Well, this is, uh, this is the inward journey of understanding what we are, what we're made of, and what we're playing with. And giving us the opportunity to evolve in the thoughts that are radically different than what we probably were indoctrinated through our childhood mm. and through our young adult life. And um, 
with this type of conversation and this type of meditation, um, other things can start to bend a little bit while staying rooted in realistic applications. And that's the key here. They both contribute to each other's philosophy. You can't have one without the other. And I really appreciate the work that you've been doing over the last 25 years and taking pain into purpose and escalating a cause that is much needed today in the 21st century, whatever this is. Mm -hmm. Um, What's sitting next to you is molecular hydrogen. And, you know, we use the word hydrogen. It's just a word. You know, someone just created that word that explains a component of water. And interesting enough about hydrogen, you know, first on the periodic table and the smallest element that we know of, what it does in the human body, mm-hmm. you know, especially at concentrated levels that you might find at a spring or through technologies or whatever we're doing. And I studied hydrogen for, you know, a lot over the last year and a half, especially because of what we did with Symbiotica. And the more I looked at it, the more I understood it and its ability to neutralize probably what we we know of the most devastating free radical in the body, hydroxyl, I was just enamored by water again mm. and just what water truly is. And that was just one part of it. Yeah. And how it actually acts as a precursor to call on your own master antioxidants in the body endogenously, whether it's peroxidase, glutathione, whatever it is, um, SOD, other, other antioxidants. And so it's, it's, eliciting a chemical response in the body through an electrical charge. Mm -hmm. The electrons move and create these chemical reactions. And the electron, the electricity is always first. Yeah. And that, that just continues to blow my mind. So let's leave it on this. Um, this whole Kangen situation and electrolyzed water and all these things. I've always been skeptic, just my, just in my gut. Because I'm not a fan of municipal water. I think municipal water, um, I don't don't call it dead water. I just call it contaminated water, water that's been unadulterated energetically. It's been adulterated, excuse me, and and put into a a perversion almost. Mm -hmm. And um, I always also say that just as important as your drinking water is the water you're bathing in, if not more important, not just because you're absorbing it, because you're breathing it in. Yeah fastest way of getting any drug or medicine or compound in the body is through the lungs. Yeah. And that's the that's where our we take our breath and the oxygen and other uh, nitrogen and other things hit our blood at the alveoli and that cosmic connection begins, right? Yeah. If we're breathing in pesticides, herbicides, contaminants, all different types of heavy metals, God knows what else, prescription drugs, <laughs> no who knows. Yeah. We are detonating ourselves from within and causing lack of communication, and we're we're causing the body to not be able to respond to itself. Mm. We're not allow, we're not allowing fluid information and thought to pass through. People are trying to change their diet and do all these things when the whole time their interstitial fluid, the cosmic alliance of everything, is completely dilapidated. What is your take on what people should be doing and approaching their water? And how do they go about this? Well, there's a few things you've talked about. Firstly, I want to just touch on the hydrogen because it's the word. It's hydro as in water and gen as in genesis as in the creator. Yep. So that's kind of interesting too. Yeah. But as far as... Did you as, hear that, everybody? <laughs> um, but as far as uh, water and you t- touched on ionized water and a lot of people in America, since coming here from New Zealand so often now, um, think that alkaline water is ionized water, like from a machine. Right. That's what their understanding of it often is. Right. But my preference is to drink wild water, yeah. you know, is to drink water from springs and aquifers. That's if you can. But it's kind of an interesting one because when I've been approached and I've been attacked, actually, uh, very, very verbally attacked by some representatives of a certain ionizing machine company. Yeah, same here. And um, and what they say is, our water is the best water, and there is no other water better. 
And I think that's a very interesting idea because what the, the actual water that is used for an ionizing machine is generally tap water that goes through a filter, it goes through a, a process, and it's, it goes through a process of electrocution, essentially. Yeah. But what's it's interesting... A positive and negative charge yeah, it, nodes, it, right? It, it puts yeah. it into a stream of alkaline and, and acid, and... Yeah. What, there's, they talk a lot about the negative ORP, which means it's either it's, it's an antioxidant or not. Yeah. So if it's in the negative, it's considered an antioxidant. Mm -hmm. But any natural water straight out of a spring or a stream, um, or an aquifer particularly, that's been under pressure will have a negative charge. Yeah. So that's not really such a big surprise. Sequestered energy, it builds up. But in my studies that I've personally done for a long time on the difference between ionized alkaline water and naturally alkaline water is that ionized alkaline water isn't stable. The pH, will, especially if it's exposed to the air, if they're both exposed to the air, the pH will drop very, very quickly and be quite different by the next day. So it loses hydrogen almost immediately. Yep. Right. And it starts to bring down that pH. And also, this, at the same time, the ORP drops. Mm -hmm. Whereas I've done studies on naturally alkaline water, the pH can stay high. So, for example, the one I was drinking was 9.9. .9. I, I left it in the dark for seven years, and it was 9.7. It had hardly dropped at all. Yeah. It's so embedded this, there's a, it. yeah. It's stable because of the mineral content within it. Right. And so... This idea that something is the best water, well, we are going towards organic, we're going towards growing our own food, all these different very natural ways, right? But why would we use a machine to get the best water? When Kangen, any ionizing machines, they are based off something called the Hunza Valley water. Mm -hmm. Hunza Valley is in northern Pakistan. It's a blue zone where the longest people live the longest for the health and live the healthiest yeah. based on the type of water that they drink, which is actually glacial water. Yeah. It's fourth phase water. Fourth phase, yeah. And so a lot of depleted, I believe yeah. so too, right? I, I'm not 100% sure. Okay. But it has a high kind of, um, I think, um, what is it called? It's not ionized. It's what is the silver? You know, colloidal. So that it has a high colloidal okay. um, silica aspect okay. to it. So when people orthosilicic, yes. So yeah, yeah. when they people drink it, it's actually very um, kind of plasmary, soft. Yeah, they, yeah. It, they it often gets watered down when the local by the locals when tourists go up because it's so thick. They they find it weird. Yeah. And so this is quite an interesting thing. So they took all the information, what's interesting, what's what's about this fourth phase water, you know, that's so unique. They took all the properties of this glacial water and went to try and recreate it by a machine in a lab. So to say it's the best is not true because it's based off a natural water. Yeah. And that's kind of an interesting thing to put forward. And the benefits I think that people have is that ionizing machines do make molecular hydrogen, but they are not good for the water structurally. So within that, you can use something like what we've just put in to our water to get the molecular hydrogen, but to keep the water in its most pristine and natural state. There are other options. So it's hard when people have invested a lot of, of financial money into yeah, this, so we get very attached. Biased a little bit, yeah. Um, but I think that when it comes to water, you know, people always ask, what's your best kind of water to drink? Right. But, you know, this is a massively first world problem. <laughs> right, no, that's, <laughs> right? A good, that's a really but, good point. And so I say the water in your glass. Yeah, so that I think that's how we take from that is anyone that's on that trip, God bless you. Like, keep going. I'd probably rather you be drinking that than just straight out of your tap. Yeah. That's that's probably better to a certain degree, as long as you keep cleaning it every couple of days, um, the machine, because I know the machine builds up some materials and stuff like that. Um, but you don't have to tread on us. I'm a spring water guy. I'm always going to be drinking spring water, and however I can enhance my spring water, I'm going to be doing that. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Veda, this was a this was the first of many conversations. Yeah. Um, I'm so happy your story was able to open up here and the experience. And I know that was just one little micro dot of what really happened and what's really going on in your world. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I go back six years, seven years. Um, if you didn't know, Veda came to my home um, about six months before my father uh, moved out of his body. And uh, I'll never forget that day and that evening. It was just so powerful um, for my father, mainly. You know, I was just a bystander there. And um, I really appreciate everything that you're doing and all that you are holding, you know, because I know that you hold a lot. Mm -hmm. I've always known that about you. And um, I'm excited to head to New Zealand, finally. And... uh, Let's do uh, let's do some cool stuff over there. Let's go spring water hunting and let's film some epic stuff and yeah. let's keep having more and more conversations because at the end of the day, sitting by a fire with your loved ones, these are the kinds of conversations I want to have. And that's really what today was all about. Yeah. This is just you and I out in the mountains with our family and friends and our loved ones just shooting the shit and talking about things that we like to talk about. Yeah. You know? And I really do want to honor your dad because it's it's interesting. You know, I saw his photo and I had an immediate remembering of him somehow. For me, he was just as much my baba too. And when I saw him, it was interesting. He said, do I know you already? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We know each other already. And we hugged for like 20 minutes. And I, f- I felt like... You know, we we were part of each other somehow. And there was something I'd never experienced it in my whole life before, just this feeling of like, oh, my God, I, I love him so much. You know, and, I, and he was so happy, you know. It, he, he was so happy. And it was such an honor because I remember you said he hadn't been eating much, but he ate more than nearly all of us that day. And he was sitting with us. And, you know, I, I think that we have connections that we can't explain sometimes. But for me, he'll always be my baba too. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I, I receive all of that. And I remember walking into that into like the the living area and I think he I think he had broke down crying yeah did he right yeah and I just remember stepping outside and just completely going into the deepest cry ever I had no idea what had hit me and I hadn't been eating much at that time I was completely kind of distraught and um that gave us that gave that was a happy day yeah and so I really We'll never forget that. And your bond with him is 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 outside of me as your bond with him. And that's 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 the most beautiful thing. Yeah. But when I hug you, I feel him too. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm doing my my best impression of my father. And it seems to get easier and easier every day. Um it's just such a crazy journey, you know, yeah. this life. But we're we're bound and connected through the water. We absolutely are. Yeah. I actually kept his last water bottle. It's in a blue cobalt flower of life bottle with Palomar spring water in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's half full. And it's sitting on my mantle next to his ashes. Yeah. And um, it's just, that's always going to be with us. Yeah. yeah. Always. Thank you, Veda. Thank God you. God bless you. Thank you.